0: We're Missy Phoenix, a community of God's people, learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. God, thank you that you are faithful to your people. You are faithful to your creation. You have not left or abandoned us to our own devices and to figure out this life and navigate this world on our own but you have spent your spirit to live inside of us. To illuminate in our hearts and our minds where we might be serving idols of our culture. And to give us the power and the strength to turn from those and turn back to you. Father, as we open your word this morning in 2 Thessalonians, may we be reminded of your spirit's work that you are alive, that you have not abandoned us. And may we leave this morning with hope. Hope that you have already conquered evil. And hope that you will one day come back again to restore all things, to make things new. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, um, I apologize a little bit beforehand. Uh, for me, this has kind of been a hard hard week. Uh, it's, it's kind of been uh, just a heavy week, I guess would be a good, a good word for it. Um, just with the passing of one of my old students, um, and then just mentally and emotionally and physically, just a, just a heavy week, just a hard week. Ironically, I mean, and I, I don't think it's ironic at all. I, I, I feel like it's definitely God's grace. Um, me and Chris and uh, Crystal actually recorded a, a podcast. We started season two of our Missio uh, podcast season. And uh, this first one was on mental health. And so, uh, again, God's grace, just being able to talk through some of those things. the midst of a heavy week, um, was just God working. So I apologize beforehand, Uh, I I don't really have the mental capacity to to be alive and and, and engaging and and crazy, but I I, I might read a lot of this. So I know for those of you that are here, it might not be that big of a deal, but I know for those of you joining us on Zoom, um, it, it might be might be a little bit easier distracted. So try to stay with me. But we're going to start in 2 Thessalonians and just a brief overview of 2 Thessalonians. One of the things that um, I want us to remind us of because we started 1 Thessalonians way back in February, I believe, and then we took a little break to go through the Psalms, which we usually do in the summertime. Um, since there's a lot of people traveling and uh, a lot of people um, you know, coming and going over the summer, especially with a lot of us teachers, uh, we can leave for five weeks at a time. Uh, not this year, but um, most years we can. And so, uh, we usually take some time to do psalms and we kind of pause in whatever books we're going through. And so today we're going to be starting Second Thessalonians, but I want us to remember that Paul's writing this letter to a tr- small church in the midst of a wealthy city, a consumeristic society where it's flourishing. And Rome has given this city pretty much freedom to govern themselves because they're paying Caesar a bunch of money. But I want us to look at 2 Thessalonians specifically and what is this book trying to do? Because Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians not much later than after he wrote the first book. In fact, some, most people uh, believe it was it was even within a year or two of writing the first first letter. And so there had to be some urgency in writing a second letter so soon. You see, Paul had learned that the persecutions of the Christians there not only persisted, but it intensified. Also, the Thessalonians were still confused, if not more confused, about the second coming of Jesus And what that would look like and when. So Paul writes this really short letter, just three chapters, but with three distinct sections. The first section offers church hope in the midst of their continued persecution. And this is what we're going to dive into this morning. The second section or second chapter is meant to offer some clarity in the day of the Lord or the second coming of Jesus church seemed to be really confused about whether they were currently living in, in the last days, and it seems that uh, some in the church were trying to figure out dates and times and when Jesus was going to return, because in looking at the community and the world around them, they seemed, it seemed like that God was coming soon, if, if He hadn't come already, Because of their severe persecution, they thought maybe God had left them behind. And their persecution was part of a tribulation period. Kind of sounds familiar. All throughout history, maybe. And finally, the last section addresses those who are idle and refusing to work normal daily jobs. Paul here is not really addressing people that just being lazy. There's like, eh, I'm just going to sleep today. But people who some believe thought that since they were living in the last days and Jesus was going to come back soon, they're like, why do I need to work? God's coming back. And so they threw off their responsibility to work. So this Second Thessalonians letter to this church is meant to offer hope and clarity and challenge their idleness. So now that we know what this letter's trying to do, let's, let's dive in. Let's, let's read 2 Thessalonians 1, and we're gonna read the whole chapter here. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy... To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, since your faith is flourishing and the love each, of, each one of you has for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you among God's churches and about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and afflictions that you're enduring. It is clear evidence of God's righteousness or righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom for which you also are suffering. Since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels. When he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who do not know God and those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. On that day when he comes to be glorified by his saints and to be marveled at by all those who have believed because our testimony among you was believed. In view of this, we always pray for you, that our God will make you worthy of his calling and by his power, fulfill your every desire to do good and your work produced by faith so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified by you and you by him. According to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Amen. Father, thank you for this letter. God, even though it was meant to a small church in a different time, in a different context, in a different place of the world, may Your Spirit still speak through Your Word to us this morning. May we hear the heart behind this letter and what You are trying to communicate. Through your servant Paul, by the power of your spirit, to the Thessalonian church. May you speak that to our hearts this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Paul kind of starts off this letter with a prayer of thanksgiving. He says, Church, Thessalonians. We thank God for you and your faith and your love. And this is almost identical to how Paul started the first letter. But in the second letter, something's missing. Let's see if we remember. Do you you guys remember the first letter? Paul mentions three things that he recognizes that is true about the church in Thessalonica, but he leaves something out. What are the three things that he recognizes to be true in the church of Thessalonica and he thanks God for? You guys remember? I'll give you a hint, one's faith. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love are the three things that God mentions at the very beginning of the first letter and he thanks God for those things. The faith that was producing good works in the first letter, in the second letter it's growing, he says. The labors of love that were true about them in the first letter, are increasing in the second letter. But hope is missing in this second letter. Hope is not mentioned. As we'll see in the rest of this chapter, in the rest of the whole letter, Paul goes on to encourage this small church of persecuted believers that Jesus is coming back again and not to lose hope. They are a religious minority living under violent oppression in the midst of a powerful and an idolatrous culture. So Paul fears that they might give up on their faith in Jesus if it gets worse. In the next verse, Paul goes on to say that their faith and their love in the midst of persecution is so great that he and Timothy and Silas boast to all of the other churches about it. Now, you might be saying, wait a minute, I thought we weren't supposed to boast or brag about how awesome and amazing our faith is or the works that we do in love or how ridiculously good-looking we are. (laughs) How is it that Paul is boasting about them? This is the same Paul that in Galatians, he writes, in Galatians 6, he writes this, as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we reconcile that? I offer this. Paul isn't boasting about their faith and their love and their works for their sake. He's bragging on the Holy Spirit outworking them. You see, in 1 Thessalonians, he wrote in the same section, in the same uh, prayer of thanksgiving, he says this. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, he says, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel didn't come to you in word only, but also in the power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. So what I believe Paul is saying to the Thessalonians when he boasts about them is, is he says, Hey, look at what the Holy Spirit has done and is doing in and through your lives. Your faith and your love are known among the other churches and are an example to them, not of how great your faith and love are, but of the amazing work of the Holy Spirit in you. Because you have given your whole lives over to him. The gospel didn't come to them in word only but in the power of the Spirit when they believed. If it were merely eloquent words and empty speech, then this small church would have given up a long time ago. At the first sign of persecution, if it was just an eloquent word they believed, how do you have hope in the midst of being persecuted? But because they believed this gospel, this good news, they now have the power of the Holy Spirit alive within them. Paul was not boasting about their faith and love in order to puff puff them up or stroke their ego so that they would hold on just a little bit longer and endure a little bit more and then not give up and not give in to the idols of that culture, but he was boasting in the power of the Holy Spirit in them. N.T. Wright says in one of his commentaries, he says this, when he, Paul, announced the gospel. I think we have this up there. When he, Paul, announced the gospel, the message that the crucified and risen Jesus is the world's true Lord, when he announced this in a town, a village, or city, He didn't see it simply as a set of ideas which might appeal to the rational mind of his hearers, although to be sure, he believed passionately that it made sense at the deepest levels of mind and heart. Nor did he see it as offering people an emotional experience which they would simply enjoy for its own sake. Paul saw the gospel as this strange vehicle or vessel of God's grace through which the true and living God reached out to woo and win the hearts, minds, bodies, and whole lives of people who up until then had not known this God. That the proclamation and the preaching and the teaching of this gospel was God's grace to move in and amongst the hearts of his people. That before they did not know this God, through the preaching of this word, definitely through mind came to understand, made sense, but reached down into their deepest levels of the soul to woo them to this living God. And so as Paul boasts about what he sees the Holy Spirit working and doing in them, We're invited into that. Like I said earlier, this week was kind of a heavy week. There were a lot of days where I didn't feel like doing anything. Like there were a couple days where I just, I'm like, man, what can I quit? Can I quit my job? No. (laughs) Uh, Can I quit parenting? No. But there was this day where I was just, I was done. I was ready to be done. And in fact, I was sitting in my truck. I was. I was Jill had like, "Hey, I'm, I'm going to hang out with some friends, but why don't you go to a coffee shop or go somewhere and go work on your sermon and kind of, you know, um, kind of work through those things." And and uh, like three hours later, she came back home, and I and I was sitting in my truck, like just staring at the window. And I, had no, I like, I I couldn't go anywhere. I didn't know where I was going to go. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was, like, numb. And she pulls in, and she's laughing because I'm, like, sitting there just staring out the window. And so it was just a, just a hard day, hard day for me. But luckily, I did have some alone time, and I texted some friends, and I texted Jill. Because as I'm driving to this coffee shop, I recognize there's, there's something going on in me that's, that's not good. Again, ironically, we just had this conversation, recorded this podcast on mental health. So pretty quickly, I, I noticed I'm not in a good place. I'm, I'm, I'm not trusting God. I'm just not in a good place. So I shot a text out to some friends. I, I, I texted Jill, and I just said, hey, will you pray for me? I recognize I'm not in a good place right now. It's not an emergency bad place but I'm just not, I'm I'm not fully here. Everything in me wants to withdraw and be done. And so as I spent some time, some alone time, just processing through this, and and I just prayed and I sought God, pretty quickly I started to see the lies that I was believing. Pretty quickly I started to write down, I'm overwhelmed. These are the things that are overwhelming me. These are the the lies that I'm currently believing about myself. This is where I'm comparing myself to other people and I see where I'm not measuring up, but I recognize that pretty quickly, that it's me comparing. Pretty quickly, I recognized, hey, this, this lie that I'm believing, what is overwhelming me is fear. And it's a fear of failure. And so I tell you all this not to um, dump this on you, but I share this because this day I was able to see the evidence of God's Holy Spirit working in me. Because most times when I'm in a bad place, it's, it's, it's kind of a few day long process for me. It's like, I, and I immediately withdraw, I immediately go inward and I try and process everything on my own, and then I might tell everybody about it. But as I laid in bed at the end of this day, I couldn't help but thank God and recognize the Holy Spirit at work within me because pretty quickly, the Holy Spirit brought to mind, that's a lie, that's out of fear. You're comparing. You're measuring yourself up to other people, and you're finding yourself lacking. This is what's true about you. This is who I've created you to be. You are made in my image. I have not messed up. And so in that, in in being able to see the Holy Spirit at work, alive, brought me to a place of thanksgiving and praising God for his Holy Spirit working in me. And I would suggest to us, church, that we maybe take some time. Where is the Holy Spirit at work in me? Where have I seen the Holy Spirit cause me to recognize, oh, I'm believing a lie. I'm comparing, I'm living out of fear. I'm trusting this idol over here instead of trusting God. Because all of those things where we recognize God at work or the places where we lack, or the places where we're not trusting him, those are all works of the Holy Spirit, alive and well in our hearts. So Paul boasts of their faith and their love, not to puff them up, but to give them an example of, hey, God is at work in you. Don't give up. Don't. Lose hope. In verse five, he goes on to, Paul reminds them again, like he did in the first letter, that their suffering, because it is associated with Jesus, is a way to participate in God's kingdom. Jesus did not come and conquer evil empires through power and military might, but by suffering and dying on a cross. This is the good news that Paul taught them in that brief time he was able to be with them. This is the good news that Jesus, by his death, conquered and claimed victory over all people that seek to destroy God's people, over every idol, over every oppressive system, and over every evil power of the world. His death conquers all evil and by his resurrection ushers in God's new kingdom so that now we are able to be and participate and be adopted into this new family, this new kingdom. Jesus was inaugurated as king by his suffering on the cross so his church could display God's victory over all oppressive people governments, and systems by imitating Jesus's nonviolence and patient endurance. This is the gospel that brings hope in the midst of persecution. And Paul also offers them hope that when one day Jesus comes back, there is gonna be judgment. There is gonna be a punishment for those who with their lives have denied the power of this gospel, have turned away from it and said, I want nothing to do with that. He reminds them that this is not gonna last forever. One day Jesus will return. And when he returns, he will bring justice to bear on those that have oppressed them. Their punishment is, is that they will be banished away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. So Paul does not go into the fate of those who reject Jesus and the gospel. He doesn't talk about heaven and hell and eternal damnation, but all he says is that throughout their lives, they have wanted nothing to do with Jesus and in the end, they get what they want. To be forever cut off from a relationship with the God of all creation. The reminder of Jesus will return one day and bring his justice to bear is meant to give these Thessalonians hope. Now again, this is a letter to a small church that's living amongst an oppressive and idolatrous culture. They're being oppressed and killed because they're not worshiping the idols of that culture. They're worshiping the true and living God with their whole lives. And their lives are so radically different than the rest of the communities around them that they stand out. They have given their whole lives to this gospel. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, all of life is being transformed to look and live more like Jesus. This hasn't changed in all of history. (laughs) We still live in and amongst an idolatrous culture. Our culture still worships many idols and many idols of our culture demand our allegiance. There are many idols of our culture that seduce us to align our lives with something other than God. I throw out to you, I, I know a lot of times we preach this up here, but I wanna hear from you. What are, I could tell you what, what I think some of the idols are of our culture, but what do you guys think? What do you guys see as some of the idols of our culture? Can we name some of them? Even the Zoomers, you can participate if you wanna throw something out. And Netflix. Netflix, yes. Yes. When you're neglecting responsibility to watch binge watch Netflix, that might, that might be an idol. When your life revolves around Netflix, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. What else? What are some other idols? Money. Yeah. Very easily our lives are aligned with that. Yeah. Tammy? Yes. Bigger and better. I, have you ever guys, just, that just reminded me of something. Have you guys ever done that game, Bigger and Better? We did it in youth group a lot, where it's like you're broken up into teams, and you, it's kind of like a scavenger hunt, but it's called Bigger and Better. So usually you start out with something small, like a paperclip or a penny or something. And you would go throughout the neighborhood Again, this was back in the day when it was safe to go throughout your neighborhood. Um, but you'd go throughout the neighborhood and you'd just knock on doors and basically say, hey, I have a penny. Will you give me something bigger or better? I'll trade you. And the person that came back to youth group with the biggest or best thing won, but you would get, I mean, you would get some crazy. I heard a story, it never happened when I was, but someone was actually given a car. I swear. I don't know if it's true, but that's a story that I heard in our youth group. That, And so I don't know if they just told us that, you know, to, like, make us go out and try and get a car. You know, like, uh, I think a couple times we did ask, like, do you have a car you're wanting to get rid of? <laughs> or a paperclip? Um, but yeah, it just reminded me of that. But that is ingrained in our culture. You should be getting bigger and better. Bigger houses. Better cars. Yeah. Good one, thanks, Danny. Anything else? Any other idols of our culture? Comfort, yeah. That's a seductive one. That's one that kind of creeps up on you and you don't know you're worshiping the idol of comfort until you're not comfortable. And then you're like, what the heck? Anything else? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Consumerism, political idealism, nationalism, racism, all the isms we kind of talk about. Things we worship in our culture. Things our culture worships. But in the midst of this, Missio, in the midst of our idolatrous idolatrous culture, our full allegiance in life should be fully committed to the ways of Jesus, so much so that our lives, our speech, our faith, our love, and hope stand out as being noticeably different, not for our own glory, but to the glory of God our Father. As someone who is just as much influenced and seduced by idols of our culture, my heart for us, church, for all of us, is that our whole lives would be characterized by the total allegiance to Jesus Christ in ways that display to the world around us that God has overcome all evil powers and has ushered in his kingdom through his son, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I went ahead, and, and just uh, as I was thinking through and praying through this letter, um, I went ahead and wrote a prayer of thanksgiving to you, to us, Missio. As if I was writing this letter to a small church in the midst of an idolatrous culture to give hope and encouragement of what I see to be true of us and our church family, and to encourage us to not give up hope. Because in this time, especially in the midst of a pandemic, protests, uh, the realization and the, the weight of racism in our country, political idealism and the division that it causes, It's an election year, which creates even more chaos and division. This is a letter that I wrote to you, to us. From Chris and Anthony, to the Church of Missio de Phoenix, and God the Father, Son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, grace and peace to you. Our Lord is faithful to always bring you all to mind when we pray to him. We are encouraged by your unity in the spirit. Though we live in a culture where the enemy is actively causing division among, even among the saints, we have seen the spirit at work in your hearts, and your minds as you move toward one another in love and faithfulness. You continue to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace and with all humility and gentleness. We encourage you to continue to walk faithfully in the mission you have been called to by sharing the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in all areas of your life to all people. Family, you are a blessing to our lives and we count it as a privilege to have the opportunity to share in this journey of glorifying our God in all things. May he continue to be glorified by you and you by him. Amen. As Chris and I as Chris and I kind of worked through this, it is evident family to us. While we have diversity in not just race, we have diversity in educational views, in political views, in all of these different areas of life and work and relationship, we are a diverse family. But we have seen the work of the Holy Spirit in this church to move towards unity and peace with all gentleness and humility. We have seen you guys move toward one another even though we may not think the same or believe the same things or have the same opinions. We have seen you move in grace and love with gentleness and humility toward one another. And with that, have shown this divisive, idolatrous culture, what it means to be a family of God, a family of missionary servants. So that is what that letter Was saying, it's an honor and privilege to be able to do this journey with some great, amazing people. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that that is evidence of your work, of your Holy Spirit's power and authority in the midst of this small church family in the middle of Phoenix. God, that if it was left up to us, would be seduced by the idols of this culture because it's easier, it's comfortable. But God, we know that those idols are empty. And while they may bring satisfaction for a short time, God, they do not last. But the everlasting peace and grace and mercy and faithfulness and love and justice are found in you. God, we thank you and we glorify you for sending your son to conquer the evil empires and idols of this world. God, that they offer nothing and you everything. You offer life. God, may this continue to be our hope as we navigate all the different areas of our life. May our total allegiance be to you, Father, and that may our lives reflect that. In your name we pray, amen.